You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about Grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. So we're doing this, this journey through Easter, and we're... Um, it's called What a Beautiful Name. And we're just looking at the names of Jesus, right? And we're, the hope is, remember, we have an agenda for this. The agenda is that on Good Friday, you will feel pain. So our agenda is come to church and feel pain, which that's our next T-shirt. I told you that. I think it's going to really be a hot one. But like, my hope is that we know Jesus so well by Friday night that when we talk about the cross, it actually does something to us emotionally. Because unless you experience a little pain on Friday, you can't truly experience the joy on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, you need to feel the pain so that you can feel the joy. And so we're trying to connect with Jesus in new ways by looking at his names. And, and some of the names we're looking at are like adjectives or, you know, they kind of describe something about him. And some are proper nouns. Um, some are happy, uh, friendly names. Like last week, we talked about Jesus the mediator. I think this is the one that's, that's good. And we should love Jesus because of this name. We said that, you know, God creates this, this perfect world and into this perfect world, he, he wants a perfect partner. And, and so he, he tries Adam and Adam fails and Moses fails and Noah fails. And, and there's a thread in the Old Testament and the thread is human failure, right? If you read the Old Testament, you see God provides and humans fail. And that's the thread that runs through it. But then you also see another thread and the thread is hope that God says, I'm going to send one to you who will not fail where the others have failed. I'm going to send one who will be like Adam, but a million times better because where Adam failed, he will succeed. I'm going to send one who will make it right. I'm going to send one who will restore. And in Jesus Christ, we see that one. And then we see that Jesus mediated for us. He took the pain. He took the punishment. He did what we couldn't do. And we should love him because of that. And the Bible says the love of God will lead us to repentance. Interestingly enough, though, the Bible says something else, too. King Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live um, because he went to macho night, he said <laughs> in Proverbs 9, he said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it's the love of God that leads us to repentance, but it's the fear of God that leads us to wisdom. And I, I think we like to talk about the love thing, but I don't think we really like to talk about the fear thing so much. As a matter of fact, I can tell you guys, um, there's been a few times in my history that I've preached on the fear of God, and by a few, I mean like one hand, a few, not a lot. And every time I talk about it, I kind of try to water down the word fear. I'm like, well, I think what the Bible really means when it says fear is like respect or awe, or maybe just kind of subtle caution. But I think if that's what the Bible meant, that's what it would have said. I think what, what the authors mean when they say fear is fear. That's a really understandable word, fear. And we see in Scripture when people encounter God, there's this sense of fear. And I guess I don't know whether I've been embarrassed about that or like I just wanted to make sure that you liked my God, but... Um, fear. That's what it says. And I think some of us are, are comfortable talking about that. Some of you are super comfortable talking about the fear of God because you came from the fear God church, right? <laughs> Where every Sunday it was fear God Sunday, right? You know, pass the plate. You better put some money in. We're going to pass it again until you fear God, right? <laughs> Y'all remember that? You're like, don't know. That's why we're here. We don't want to remember that. 
that it was all fear of God and no love. And, and every Sunday, it was as if they were trying to scare the, trying to scare the hell out of you, right? Right? And so you came from the Fear God Church. Some of you, us, though, come from the Love God Church, where there is no fear. He's just God, and he loves me, and he loves everything about me, and he loves every idea I have, and he affirms everything I want to do, and he's so cuddly, right? He's like, he's like God is a bunny, <laughs> you know? We come from the Fear God Church or the Love God Church, and, and, and so you, you may be uncomfortable with this because you're from the Love God Church or comfortable because you're the Fear God Church, but I think we need to talk about it. Because at some point, we got to this point, especially in the Love God Church, where Jesus just became our homeboy. But put that, check this out. Y'all remember this shirt? Anyone ever seen this shirt? <laughs> Jesus is my homeboy. Is he? Is he your homeboy? Um, he's your friend. I mean, the Bible says Jesus is a friend of mine. Yes, yes, yes. But is he my, is he my homeboy? I don't know. Just let me read something, and y'all tell me if this sounds like your homeboy. Revelation 19. Yeah. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. Does, do you have a homeboy like that? If so, I'm never going to say this again. Don't bring him here. Because <laughs> it will be super awkward for everyone sitting around you when your homeboy's on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. And that's pretty intense stuff, right? And so, yes, Jesus is our friend, but I think we forget that he's also our king. Your, your friend is the king. And when you greet the king, I don't know that you greet him with a high five. I think you greet him with a head bowed. I think it's different. And, and if your friend is the president of the United States, you know what you still call him? Mr. President. Jesus is the king. And, and I think maybe a little healthy fear of this king wouldn't be the worst thing for the American church. Because I think somewhere along the way, we lost some of this. He's your friend, but we ain't equal. Philippians 2 says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. This is talking about Jesus. To the highest place and gave him the name above every name. That in that name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. To the glory of God the Father. He's the king. He's the highest authority the world will ever know. The most powerful force the world has ever seen. And you're like, Tommy, I think you're talking about God. I am. And I'm talking about Jesus. And if you're like, hmm, I would say stick around. Christianity gets a little confusing and then it gets a little better. But it still stays a little confusing. Because he's Jesus, the mediator. But he's also God the king. John 5, 22. Because I know some of you are thinking, Tommy, I, know, I think you're talking about God, not Jesus. So, so John 5, 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. 
that they may all honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Guys, over and over we see this in the Bible. The Father has entrusted the Son with judgment. Jesus, the word that created the world. Remember, God spoke through Jesus and the world came to be. God's judgment is carried out through the word. Jesus, Revelation 19, 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called faithful and true. With justice, he, what's that next word? Judges and wages war. This verse is about Jesus. So who is the judge? Jesus. But you said he was the mediator. I did. And he's the judge. Thought he's my friend. He is. But he's the king. And all of these things go together. And one cannot outweigh the other one. We live in a world where we, where we want to divide God's righteousness from his love. Right? As if we have two different beings. And cuddly Jesus saves me from wrath, God. Where you cannot separate God's righteousness from his love. He is all loving and he's the most loving being the world will ever know. But he's also completely righteous and completely holy. And you cannot isolate those things from each other. His wrath is just as powerful as his love. His justice is as strong as his mercy. And when you try to separate those things and take a camp, you end up with half of Jesus. And people make a lot of money and write a lot of books that only tell you half the story. But if you're going to embrace the cross, if you're going to understand Easter, you have to know who this God really is. And, and uh, you know, it's, I don't think fear is a very powerful motivator for long-term change. I really don't. And so very rarely do I say things to try to scare people because I remember I had a principal in eighth grade, and I hope, I hope he's listening to this. He used to put the nerve pinch on me. I remember. He would take my, you know, yeah, and put the nerve pinch on me and, and, and try to scare me. And I was scared just long enough to get out of his line of sight. And then I was right back to being me. I was playing mind games on him. When he was there, I shut up. When he left, I was talking again. But like, fear is not a powerful motivator. But if you don't have any fear of Jesus, then you're just missing out on who Jesus really is. And, and I want to say this, too, and like, I, I, this is almost hard for me to say because, you know, I try to backpedal off these things. If you're here today and you've been coming to church, and, but you're refusing to give your life to Christ, even though you've been presented with the truth, then you should fear God. If you're continuing to reject him and continue to reject his commands, then you should fear God. But for those who have given their life to Christ, he shows up. And every time he shows up, do you know what he says? Fear not. Isn't it beautiful? This righteous judge, this God who has the whole world in his hands, shows up. It's, it's like this. Um, I, I, almost, I almost asked how many of y'all have been to jail, but I'm not going to ask that. <laughs> I got a good feeling, I know. Um, but for those of us who've been to jail, we can, we can uh, relate to this. So imagine you've got a, you're on trial for murder, okay? You're on trial for murder. And you've got blood on your hands. Like you are caught. You are busted. You are on trial for murder. And the glove fits. Like you, you're, you're hosed. You're, you're guilty. And, and your public defender, which is, this is, you're already like, oh, no. 
You're on trial for murder. You've got a public defender provided to you free of charge. He shows up and he goes, hey, listen, if you will trust me with your life, I think I can handle this for you. And you're like, what are you, how are you going to, I'm, I'm, I got blood on my hands. And the public defender says, no, 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 you don't understand. I know someone. And you're like, well, who do you know? And he goes, I know the judge. And you're scared of this judge because this is the most righteous. And this judge, y'all have heard of him. He is power. This judge has swallowed armies. Like you know about this judge. And the public defendant says, I know the judge. And you say, well, how do you know the judge? And he says, because I am the judge. Not only that, I'm going to take the rap for your murder. I'm your defendant. I'm your judge. And I'm the one who's going to pay the price. And that is Jesus. That is Jesus. I wrote this next thing because I want us to get, I want to say this right. The one who judges you is appealing to you so that you will place your life in the hands of the one who took the judgment for you. You hear that? The one who judges you is appealing to you so that you will place your life in the hands of the one who took the judgment for you. And if that doesn't do something in you, then you don't really know him. You don't know him yet, and that's okay. But get honest, because you have to understand what you're being saved from. You have to understand who did the saving. And you have to understand the price they paid to do it. Listen, I, let me read you guys a pretty long passage from 2 Corinthians 5, but, but I, think, I think this will kind of put a wrapper around it for us. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So there's a judgment seat of Christ. We've got to appear before it. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. Since we know what it is to fear, that means fear, translates into fear, fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's plain to you, your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer to those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. But if we're of our right mind, then it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Say, so listen, if we're crazy, then so be it. We believe this Jesus took the, took the place of us and died on our, and if we're crazy, then so be it. But if we're right, then it's good for you. And because it's good for you, we're compelled to tell you. And then he finishes in verse 15. And he died for all of us, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself. God reconciled us back to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, come back, be reconciled. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Y'all hear that? says, man, we believe this because we fear God and because we love God and because we know who God is. We believe that God took our place and rescued us from the judgment of God. And I think there's three things that should happen as we read this and as we, as we understand the fear of God. And I, guys, I, I, I'm so glad y'all were here, not 830, um, because I failed at this at 830. And I went back and rewrote it because I, I, I missed something. And so I guess if you're watching this, you're at 830, I'm sorry, but no, I mean, Better luck next week. But like, there's something I missed in this. And here's what it is. What should the fear of God do in you? Well, what, what should understanding this fear of God do inside you? And I think it should do three things. I think it should create an urgency. I think it should change your identity. And I think it should cultivate empathy. The first thing, he's, because they feared God, because they knew how powerful this God was, there was an urgency in their message. You heard they say, we implore you. When someone implores you, they're not going, hey, would you please consider? They're, they're like, please, don't you understand? Don't you understand who he is? Don't you understand that who, who he is and the power he has? But he's for you. And he loved, don't, don't you understand? It implore, there's an urgency in our message. And so if you're coming to church week after week and you're never sharing the gospel with someone, then you don't really fear God yet. You don't really know who he is. There should be an urgency in your message. The second thing understanding the fear of God should do is it should change your identity. He says, we're Christ ambassadors. What do you exist to do in this world? For those who fear God and they love God, they understand their primary responsibility is ambassador of God. And everything you have becomes an instrument to fuel that fire. Everything you have becomes an instrument of being an ambassador of God. You understand that the old is gone, the new has come. You understand that you are a new creation. You, un you know who you were before, but you know who you are now because you know what this God has done for you. And the third thing it should do is cultivate empathy. This is one of the, the problems with preaching on the fear of God is that sometimes we go out in the world and begin to talk like the world should fear us. You know, like, you better be afraid of my God and stop what you're doing. What? No, that's never the message to go around pounding people with. Let me tell you, God hates this and God hates that. You know what God hates? People who walk around talking about what God hates. That's what he hates. He hates pride. He hates people who forget where they came from. He hates it when people lose their empathy. The fact that we understand how powerful our God is should humble us to the point where we go out wanting to save the world. Not through telling them how broken they are. Let me ask you, the word ambassador means to come as a representative of one, right? So if you're an ambassador of Christ, you should lay down your life for the world like Christ did. And so we're, we're about to take communion together. And today I, I just want to pray that there's a new, um, new understanding around the fear of God. I want to pray that there's a new urgency in our hearts. I want to pray that there's a new identity, that we, we understand who we are and what we, guys, especially Easter, especially now, it matters. 
and that there's a deeper level of empathy than we have ever had before because we remember that it is not by our goodness but by his goodness that we are allowed to stand in front of the king. And so if those things are not in your heart today, urgency and identity and empathy, come to the table with a purpose. Ask God to restore in you what should already be there. Maybe you're listening to me talk about this God, and you're like, Tommy, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know who he is. I don't, I, I don't know anything about him. Maybe today is the day you finally decide to give your life to him. And you won't stay in love with him because you're scared of him, but you might open your mind to him. Maybe you've been in church a long time. This is probably the category that should have the most fear. You've been in church for so long that your relationship with God has just become some secondhand flippant thing. And you spend most of your time critiquing other people on the way they live their life. And you show up to church when it's convenient. And you leave and never calculate the cost of your own sins. If that's you, I want to I remind you of something. And I need to remember this. We all need to remember this. You're coming to your friend's table. But your friend is the king. And we come to his table, we come with reverence. And we come to his table, we come with, hope. We come with confidence. Because the king is for us. But he's still the king. And we come with an understanding that it's his holiness and his righteousness that has set us apart. And, and we, we come with an understanding that he gave his life for us. And so we don't walk up flippantly and, you know, hey, pa. no, 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 no. The table is not the place for the high five. The table is the place for the head bow. Because he is still the king of the world. And he loves you. And that is completely true. But he is still righteous. And so today, let's come with a new understanding. Let's come remembering who he is and what he's done. Let's ask him for what we need. Do you need an identity? Ask for it. Do you need empathy? Ask for it. Do you need urgency? Ask for it. Because I promise you this, the king wants to give it to you. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.